We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie and I appreciate everyone tuning in to another episode. Make sure you guys are subscribed to our podcast feed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. Before we turn the page to our draft coverage, we are still doing our player report episodes. And I will be talking about Tail Maladon and Terry Rozier today on this solo pod. Lastly, if you'd like to see somewhat of a written version of this, it is on our BuzzBeat Plus Substack at buzzbeat.substack.com. It is free to read. You just probably have to scroll down a little bit to find those articles. Okay, let's get into this by starting with Terry Rozier. This was Rozier's fourth season in Charlotte, and he is on contract for three more seasons. 29 years old, played in 63 games this season, which was on the higher end for some of these players on the roster, so that's always something positive you can note. He averaged 21 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 assists. I think what I'm going to do is start with his offensive side first, talking about some of the disappointments, but also try to throw in some context and the potential reasons why it felt underwhelming this season for Rozier. Offensively, first off, like the offensive load that he had this season was very high. He was one of the healthier players on the roster and with some of the guards like DSJ and obviously Lamella Ball missing significant time, he had to step up and not only play more to kind of cover for uh, some of the rotations and the shifting of the guard positions, but he had to play out of position at times. And he is a guy that is primarily an off-ball mover. He is not suited to play point guard. You know, that's personal opinion, but I think some of the numbers back that up as well. He plays much better alongside someone that can draw in the defense and set him up. When he played without another point guard on the court, 
whether that was Teo or DSJ or LaMelo, the net rating when he was on the court as the primary guard for the team was negative 7.5. Now, we got to remember that the Hornets' net rating for the season was negative 6. So they, they were definitely getting outscored. But when he was on the court without another point guard, that dropped by a point and a half. So these next set of numbers that I'm going to kind of put out there are when he actually played with another point guard. When he played with Tail Maladon, the net rating of the team was negative 4.8. So again, still under you know net neutral, but better than the team and also better when he was uh, out there by himself without a point guard. When he played with DSJ, the net rating was negative 2.8. And then when he played with LaMelo, it actually went, it slightly went down the net rating from seven point negative 7.5 to negative 7.7. But when you dig a little bit deeper, all of his shooting numbers went up. Two point, three point, obviously effective uh, because of those. It was really the defense between those two that kind of let them down when they were on the court. So this just goes to highlight for him to be effective, yes, the talent around him has to be good. But also the talent also needs to be good in the point guard position. There needs to be a steady presence there that can be used to set him up. And this team was really, really severely lacking on the offensive end, not just from the point guard position, but just overall speaking, not a, not enough rim pressure, not enough lane pressure from an individual ball handler. Hornets did like to get to the rim, but a lot of that uh, was through pick and roll, was through drives, was through offensive rebounds, getting a lot of shots at the rim there. I don't think there was a lot of individual one-on-one breakdowns where it would require off-ball defenders to help over and help off to where Rozier could feast off of that. And I wrote this in my piece, and Clifford made a mention of this as well in his postseason availability, but I'll give him this. Like Rozier had a better season than one would believe if you strictly looked at the numbers because of the role change that he had to take on. When he played with steady veteran presences, with steady players on the offensive end like Hayward and LaMelo, his true value showed. His numbers increased, which is to be expected of any player. Like if you're going to play with Hayward or LaMelo, I would expect your numbers to increase. If they're, if they're not increasing, then uh, there's something wrong with, with you as the player. So context definitely plays a factor when evaluating Rozier. So that is the one thing that I've kept in the back of my mind when evaluating his 22-23 season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But having said all that, when talking about his usage, when talking about his workload, when talking about playing the point guard position instead of the shooting guard position, and he's done that obviously throughout his career where he's toggled back and forth, but this is the most that he's played in the past three seasons. I still think I can sit back and say that his season was underwhelming. And his three-point shooting, let, let, let's talk about that. He shot the ball just 32.7%, which was the lowest since his second season in the league at the age of 22. And here's the thing, like, he has the talent from deep, long-range shooter. The gravity, I believe, is still there. Players on opposing teams still respect him when he's coming off those screens. He can actually make difficult shots as well. So, you know, it's not always the open shots that he hits, but, like, coming off those floppy action where he's underneath the basket, coming off a couple screens and turning and firing. He can make those difficult shots. And the number 33% this year is still 33%. And I think it just goes to show how, I guess the word is reliant, how reliant he is on everything around him to go right for his shot to fall on a consistent basis I, you know, I previously mentioned about the point guard situation where if he's not playing with the point guard, obviously the ball is in his hands a little bit more, and that's just not the way that he creates shots off the dribble as much from behind the arc. He's more of a catch-and-shoot guy. And I think, too, like the corner three-point percentage going down from 41 to 30% was really disappointing. When I think of Rozier, I think of the corner threes. I think of those wing elbow threes where he's coming off that floppy action, catches it in one motion and fires away. Now, he's probably not getting the most open looks as much this past season. There's probably not a ton of advantage created with the ball handlers or the paint pressure, but dropping 11 points was a letdown for me from that spot. So, when when things were going wrong for the Hornets offense, which happened very, very frequently, Rozier, it felt like, really couldn't put the team on his back and try to create value from behind the arc and then create that impact that he normally does. It just wasn't there. And again, context is key. I get that, but dropping these, you know, percentage points from both the corner and just overall, to me, was a disappointment. I, I don't think you can not say that. Now, the mid-range game, I've, I've talked about this before with Rozier. I don't believe it was his first year in Charlotte, 
when he came over, or maybe it was, maybe a little bit of his second year and third year mostly is kind of where I would point to this. So the past two seasons prior to the 22-23 season, you started to see a little bit of a increase in efficiency from the mid-range, whether that was from the floater range, but also the long mid-range as well, where he's making baseline jumpers and things of that nature. And I think that is a great counter and alternative to have when you're mostly seen as a three-point shooter. So if teams run you off the line and you have the ball in your hands, can you do something? Or is it just another kickout pass that delays the the possession? And Rozier started to show that, you know, whether he was actually used as a primary ball handler and weaving in and out of that pick and roll situation to where he can get to his spots in the mid-range and getting downhill and you know, if he wasn't getting all the way to the rim, he found that floater range. He found that long mid-range jumper where it was hitting at a very consistent level. Or if he was coming off a screen, the defense really overshadowed him and he caught the ball and they basically ran him off the line. He had an alternative to turn to. And so this season, again, context plays a big role in everything, but he dropped three to five percentage points in both the short mid-range and the long mid-range. And I, I think that's that's something to note. I, I, I would have hoped with the ball in his hands a little bit more that he could have maybe maintained some of that mid-range efficiency, but he shot only 42% from the mid-range this year compared to 48% in 2022 and 46% in 2021. So I kind of misspoke. In his first season, he only shot 37%. So it really was those past two seasons prior to 2023. And that was always a counter that he had in the back of, you know, his bag where he can weave in and out of traffic, keep his defender on his back and and pull up for that mid-range shot. And that's not something that he's really ever been known for throughout his career, but you saw bits and pieces of that uh, in the previous two seasons, uh, in 2022 and 2021. So that's that's another letdown for me in, in terms of some of just his efficiency. And then defensively for Terry Rozier, nothing new, nothing that we haven't talked about before in the seasons that he's played with Charlotte, nothing to write home about. A pretty unremarkable player on that end. There are some things that he does well. There's some things that he does poorly on that end. Overall, pretty much a net negative, net neutral, kind of in that area for him. I feel like, relatively speaking, he's been pretty much the same type of defender throughout his career. You know what you're getting from him on uh, on that end. He did have to guard point guards more often this season when he was out there on the court. I think on the positive end, he does have some screen navigation when he wants to compete. I think one thing, maybe more so last year and the year before, but on off-ball positions, when he gets to be in that off-ball role, he does a good job of jumping passing lanes and getting steals. But generally speaking, he's fairly ineffective as an overall defender. And I think part of it is size, part of it is losing focus, part of it is him expending more energy on the offensive side so you expect a little bit of a of a dip on the other end. 
and he's going to expend energy, whether that's as an off-ball mover or whether that's like this year where he's having to play a little bit more with the ball in his hands as a ball handler and taking the ball up the court. I don't think it matters for him. He he is a guy that works tirelessly on that end, and the defensively, you kind of see a little bit of a let let down, and a little bit of it is explainable. And also part of it, too, is just him not being in the right position to affect shots and affect plays on that end of the court. So for me, Rozier, there's nothing new on that end. There's nothing that I saw this year that either blew me away or really took me aback. Even on the negative end, it, it's pretty much same old, same old for him. And as far as the grade goes for his 2023 season, I did say in the piece, failed to meet expectations. And most of that was due to the dip in numbers from pretty much everywhere on the court. Uh, I go back to what Clifford said, and you know when he was out there with players that are talented, like Hayward, like Lamella Ball, and he was surrounded by starters, obviously his numbers went up. But I also think that some of these dips were a little bit more drastic than I would have expected with with the uh, the injuries that piled up around him on the roster. And in the future for him, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle him with three more seasons left on his contract. We talked about in the previous episode where DSJ feels like a better fit next to LaMelo, but DSJ is a backup point guard. Like When we talk about a better fit, we just mean in spurts here and there because of the stylistic play style with DSJ and getting downhill and and being able to be a guy that can be a factor on the defensive end where it allows LaMelo to shift off ball. And LaMelo obviously needs to expend less energy on the defensive side. So surrounding LaMelo with defenders, which Terry Rozier is not, is a good idea. So I don't think it's either or in this situation. Obviously, it's going to be hard to get rid of Rozier. I think in certain situations, maybe even in, in high leverage situations, it might be beneficial to have DSJ out there next to LaMelo. But when it's all said and done, DSJ is a, is a point guard. He's a backup point guard. He's not a shooting guard or off guard that you're going to use consistently next to LaMelo. But the debate surrounding Rozier's fit with LaMelo will probably continue from here on out. But again, if he could be surrounded by other defenders, other players that are well-rounded in those other three positions, I think his offense also just it is going to naturally just take off and then it's going to outweigh some of the negatives that he does have on the defensive end. That just wasn't the case this year because of how poor the the team was and the offense in general went down for everyone. So grade, I, I'm still going to say failed to meet even though there's context that comes into this. And then the last player briefly want to talk about is Teo Maladon. He, out of anyone that I wrote about, it's hard to get and get a gauge on him, a feel for him, because he was on a two-way for the Hornets and clearly played some in Greensboro, but he was able to get 44 games here in Charlotte, average 6.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, and three and a half assists per game. At best right now, he's a third point guard, and that's the role that he had with the Hornets. He filled in for some players that were injured. In Greensboro, his numbers, obviously his counting numbers, were better because he was playing more minutes, 16 points per game, 5.7 rebounds per game, and 5.3 assists. But 
overall, just not an efficient player on the floor, whether that's in Greensboro, whether that's in Charlotte, really anywhere. Two point, three point at the rim. He was 52% within five feet, 41% on mid-range attempts. He was 0 of 7 on corner threes in Charlotte and 28 of 88 on above the break threes, which isn't which isn't awesome. He's going to be left open more and more if he does stick around in this league. And that's pretty much going to neutralize a lot of his positives on that end. And opposing teams just won't honor his shot. So he's got to find something. He's got to find either a three-point shot, a mid-range shot. I know we say that a lot about players that are kind of limited on the offensive end, but you're just not going to get much scoring or shooting from Maladon on the court. But what you what you are getting the most bang for your buck again this is a third point guard that we're talking about is through his pick and roll offense and setting people up for shots i think he's really good and just kind of looking back at his assist and some of my tweets throughout the season he's really good at making passes to the weak side corner when he's getting into the paint out of the pick and roll so being able to see the whole court know where the help is coming from know how to leverage some of his driving ability to kick it out to open shooters. He knows he's not going to be a guy that can pull up from 16 feet after getting inside and hit that shot with consistency. So he needs to be aggressive in getting downhill and driving the basketball and not shying away from contact. He wants to get downhill. He knows that, you know, being out on the perimeter is just not his forte. Now, he's not driving necessarily to shoot the ball or score at the rim, He averaged close to three attempts at the rim per 75 possessions, which is a fairly low number there. I think maybe because of his size, he may shy away from those contested shots at the rim, and he would rather kick it out to his open teammates. But he knows that about himself. Now, having said that, and I've been talking about this all year, he did have the third highest two-point shooting foul drawn rate on the team of players that played 800-plus minutes. That was a 17.3 rate. And for a player that, you know, has not looked upon as a scorer, he needs to be aggressive. And whether that's trying to draw shots at the rim because, or foul shots from the rim attempts, because he's probably not going to make it, that's great. But he at least knows that he has to get into the paint, draw in other opponents before making those passes out to his teammates. And I felt like he did that with, volume with variety with efficiency and I'm sure if he was surrounded with better talent this season and better shooters he would have averaged more assists because the looks he did create were were quality now he needs strength and that that's affected on both ends of the court defensively I can say that he he competes on ball he will chase he will stay active I obviously didn't evaluate his defensive side of the court and didn't pay too much attention, you know, more so to his off-ball defense this season. And he also wasn't on the court for too long, for long enough stretches for me to kind of get a good evaluation on him. But he did have a 2.1 steal percentage and got his hands on some deflections in the passing lanes. So his build, his build is limiting, and he needs to get stronger for him to have more of a a presence on that end. But he competes. Even when he's physically overmatched on the perimeter or physically overmatched in the post, if he gets 
caught down there on a switch. So you can't really fault them too much on that end, especially when you talk about the compete level. And then Clifford noted this in one of the late season games that Teo is very heady, very smart player that retains things easily. And then when you go from Greensboro to Charlotte, back to Greensboro, back to Charlotte, and having that consistency in terms of the verbiage and just terms of the the style and, and, and some of the things that they do on both levels, or, or maybe even being removed from Charlotte and coming back up and being able to pick up things, I think that meant a lot for him. And, and maybe Clifford meant that more for the offensive end, but I think defensively, knowing the different coverages, just being more aware on that end can make up for some of the, the lack of strength and the lack of build that he has on that end. I think when, when it's all said and done, uh, when I looked back on the piece, I gave him a meets expectation. It's hard to have expectations of two-way players because you just never know how much is going to be spent down in Greensboro versus in Charlotte. I doubt he's back with the team next year. He's He did his job, but he's just very limited, uh, both physically and from a shooting perspective as well. But I, d- I did enjoy his minutes, though. I just think that developing some kind of shot will go a long way and keeping him out there on the court. If not, teams are going to realize that he can't and kind of take away more of his passing creation that way. But, you know, obviously he's not been a focal point on scouting reports just because he's so young. He's not made an impact in his three seasons in the NBA. So the only players that we really haven't talked about too much, and we want to get to those younger players like Kai Jones and JT Thor and Bryce McGowan's, We're hoping to put out another episode later this week, early next week on those three before we kind of shift over to the offseason mode. And I know that we've kind of dialed back the draft coverage this year in terms of the earliness of it. We've pushed it back a little bit, but we are going to get around to that. And I know that Brian and Lee and and Spencer are going to get a hold of that And we're going to put out some written pieces. We're going to put out, obviously, some podcasts as we lead up to the draft. And then you've got the the lottery coming up as well, which is just around the corner. So that could also kind of gear our talking points depending on where the Hornets draft. So we appreciate you, the listener, joining us today. As always, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Review us on Apple Podcasts and visit buzzbeat.substack.com for information about our private podcast feed where you get ad-free episodes and you get early access. This one was released 24 hours ahead of time. So appreciate you. Take care. Go Hornets.